So my son and I are reading Harry Potter together. We uh, also have watched some Star Wars movies, and uh, it's actually pretty hard to avoid that sort of stuff because Star Wars, Harry Potter, and uh, some other things are the stories of our age. Now, imagine a world in which the Old Testament, the stories of Abraham, of David, of Elijah, and the traditions that they were involved in were the stories of the age. That's what young people knew. That's what old people knew. Those were the things that uh, were talked about. The point is not how much do you believe these stories and the importance of these traditions. The question is more, are you familiar with them, right? So do you know the basic characters? Do you know kind of what they do? Um, do you know what sort of roles they play? Who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? Now, imagine for us what it would mean if you looked out of your window one day and you saw the Millennium Falcon, right? This is a little paper airplane thing that I I put it together today with my son has a has a book of Star Wars paper airplanes because we know this sort of stuff. This is just part of our everyday life. Now imagine you actually saw a real one out of your window or Chewbacca met you on the street or I don't know Dumbledore or whatever. You would immediately be able to integrate that experience, that event, into a larger framework, which would obviously help you believe these stories, but you would know what to do with that piece of information. Now, imagine this world where regular people, kids, people that don't have much education, they know the stories of Abraham, Elijah, etc. They know the traditions. And imagine someone walks into their life and his actions, his life, what he says, resembles all that stuff that you already kind of know about. You don't have to be a scholar or anything of that sort in order to integrate that person into that larger framework. Everybody. Welcome to the Sanctus Forum. I am Michael Stewart Robb, and this is conspiracy commentaries, which means that we are talking about Dallas Willard's The Divine Conspiracy. And uh, if you've been following along, you know that we've been uh, in the first chapter, um, and a uh, very important chapter, not the easiest one to read. And I've said this before, but if you get stuck, you know, think of the chapters in this book as separate essays. So um, go to the one that interests you. But at the moment, I'm helping people with the first chapter. And uh, thanks for liking this video. If you're watching it on video, if you're 
on the podcast. Uh, thanks for subscribing. Thanks for all that stuff. Um, it's it's helpful to be able to go through this with other people and uh, help you all um, get more out of this book. Uh, so today we're talking about the presence of God in action. For me, it's uh, page number uh, 19. Important, very important little section. Uh, I know I say that a lot, but especially here at the beginning of the book, there are a lot of them coming. Um, it's important because it helps us understand how the kingdom of God, that word, and Jesus's message about the kingdom of God were understood in a world where the Bible, um, the stories of the Old Testament, the traditions, rituals of the Old Testament were just part of the culture. Everybody knew about them. And uh, this can be something that uh, scholars can get a little worried about with Dallas Willard and people who read books that New Testament scholars uh, write because what Dallas has to say about the kingdom of God is not what other people have to say. So um, just a brief argument, I guess, here today about why Dallas Willard does what he does. And um, basically, it's, it's, not that, it's not that complicated. Here, I'll read this here. They were stories and traditions of individual human beings whose lives were interlaced with God's action. So the idea is that there's a people who know about this stuff. And then, all of a sudden, Jesus comes onto the scene and he looks a lot like those other people. And what he does looks a lot like those other people. See, this is one of the things where scholars get a little, mm, let's say, messed up, is they, they just look at that phrase, the kingdom of God is at hand, and they try to make sense of it just like that. And perhaps it's because we're a little worried about miracles and God's action in our world. But the way that the stories of Jesus are told are told as if, you know, this is kind of obvious stuff. Of course, God was acting in our world and he's acting with Jesus. And when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, he doesn't just say it. He's also doing things. Um, Dallas Willard writes here, uh, well, he write, doesn't write here in my notes. He writes here, he was acting with God and God with him. And people saw that. That's it. People saw that and they said, uh, we've seen this before. We've seen this before. And then when he says the kingdom of God is at hand, they're like, ah, oh, okay. We get it. He means God's acting with him. So with Jesus's message, the kingdom of God is at hand, which Dallas Willard wants to say means the kingdom of God is available. Um, Dallas sees two levels of invitation or understanding of the invitation from the uh, just regular people that Jesus was among. Um, so he says, it, he says it here, Dallas says, he was primarily referring to what he, Jesus, could do for people, God acting with him. Now, I call this the kingdom of God available for Jesus. In other words, people thought, hey, this guy works with God. Great, I'll go to this guy and he can help me with God's help. The kingdom 
is at hand for him, in a sense. And through him, kind of, I can then get something that I need, whether it's healing or some sort of miracle or understanding, wisdom, whatever it is. All right? That's the first level. But then Dallas has this. But he was also, that is, Jesus was also offering to communicate this same rule of God to others who would receive and learn it from him. Now, this is what I call the kingdom of God available through Jesus. That is, Jesus is not just saying, hey, I'm an intermediary here and, uh, you know, come to me and then I'll talk with the kingdom of God and see what we can do. He's saying, no, the kingdom of God is available for you. It's like Jesus steps out of the way and says, no, you can have what I have. And here's how. I'll teach you how to do it. I will teach you how to interact with the kingdom of God as I interact with the kingdom of God. That's the second level of invitation. And it just makes sense when Jesus starts to invite disciples, students, apprentices, to be with him and to do what he does. Well, uh, that's what we got here for that section. It's 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 a little subtle, but this argument is doesn't take a whole lot of scholarly thinking to to follow. And uh, so uh, I look forward to um, the next video and uh, head over to Sanctus.institute in the meantime and sign up for our almost monthly newsletter because it's uh, almost time for me to write another one. So until then.